0: What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 114 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality community from right here in Orange County to the rest of Southern California and beyond each and every episode. As always, I'm your host, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. Thank you to my friend, Allie Coyle, who provides music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com or check out any of her family's three restaurants here in the Orange County area, Fable & Spirit in Newport Beach, Dublin for Gastropub, and Wine Works for Everyone. Both of those are in Mission Viejo. As a reminder, if you enjoy the show and you're listening to it on free feeds, Amazon, Spotify, the like, please be sure to leave a rating and or a review, share it on social media, etc. It helps other folks discover the show. You can go to TheBestSeats.com for more content just like this, including the newly relaunched blog, merchandise store, as well as updates on the official release date of the newest show. I Know What You Did Last Sunday, where we are reliving all of your horror stories from Sunday Fundays, Mother's Day brunches, etc., all gone awry. And you can submit those stories over on thebestseas.com as well. There's a whole tab that you'll be able to find. It's pretty easy and pretty intuitive. Episode 114, very glad to be back. We took a little bit of a two-week hiatus. Um, Unfortunately, with the weather out here in Southern California, depending on when you're listening to this, um, at the time of this recording... We've officially gotten more rain than Seattle, which is insane. That also means that the mountains got smacked. So a couple of the guests that I did have lined up had to either deal with personnel being stuck in the mountains or they were stuck in the mountains themselves for a myriad of reasons. We took two weeks off, but the show is back. And boy, are we back. When we talk about major dining experiences um, industry-wide, not just Orange County, but industry-wide, nationwide, even worldwide for that matter, there tends to be a, a veneer. Right. A little bit of a little pump, a little circumstance. Right. This is the best meal in this area or it's one of the best meals in this area. Blah, blah, blah. White tablecloth. Captain's t- treating the table. So there's nothing wrong with that. I've had chefs on the show that have run restaurants like that and they run them very, very well. And they're very kick ass people. And I have a very big soft spot in my heart for that type of service. But rarely do you get something where it's one of the best dining experiences at a high level. Right. A chef's table experience. Executed at a high level with zero pretense, zero bullshit, zero kind of expectations. Chef Justin Werner of Trust in downtown Santa Ana is executing just that. It is a chef's table by definition, yes. But it is, to his words, it's a dinner party. It is raucous. It is body. It is fun. It is exuberant. It is unrelenting. It is an assault on the culinary senses as soon as you walk in the door in a really, really awesome way. This is not just a chef that appeared out of nowhere. Chef Warner has done time at some of the best restaurants in the world, and that is not hyperbole. That is a fact. Noma, per se, these are, these are restaurants that even the most amateur, quote-unquote, foodie, and that's coming from somebody who hates that word, they know these things. They've seen them on TV, probably. They've seen other chefs interview them on Netflix or something like that. These are restaurants he's done time at. So what does it mean for a New York guy to go work at these places and then come to downtown Santa Ana and just crush it? And not just him, but build out a team that delivers consistently one of the most beloved and loyal dining experiences ever. They have weeded out the common diner. They have a very, very loyal dining group that consistently shows up has a great time, calls it a night, and then comes back the next week. What is trust? Well, without spoiling the episode, in summary, I can say that it is, without a doubt, I think the only dining experience in Orange County where the experience reflects the name. Because it is a trust exercise. From the moment you walk in the door, (laughs) your... Not your life, because we're not getting John Wick up in here. But your experience is completely in their hands. You come in, and you are in their world. There is no hiding. Your seat, you're under the lights. The chefs are in front of you. Wine is being poured behind you. You can't go anywhere. Bam, you're locked in, locked and loaded. Restroom if you need it. Otherwise, buckle up. It is unrelenting. It is borderline offensive. But in the most beautiful way possible. They're doing some. There are other chefs' tables in Orange County. You've listened to them on this podcast, and they're wonderful, and I love them. But this is something different. This is something challenging. This is something not for everyone. And there's a really, really, really gruff beauty in that. And I'm a fan of it, and I can't wait for you to be a fan of it after you listen to this episode. So, no more rambling for me. Let's dive right into it. Episode 114 of the Best Seeds Podcast, featuring. Chef of Trust in downtown Santa Ana, Chef Justin Werner. Enjoy. Well, it's time for a little commercial. Yeah. I don't know about you, but 2020 had me re-looking at how I live and the space that I live in. Spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things, as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potager comes in. Heirloom Potager designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef, owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotager.com. That's heirloom, A-G-I-R-L-O-O-M, potager, P-O-T-A-G-E-R. today once again that's heirloom potage chef thank you for taking the time to sit down very excited to be sitting here well recording in detention but sitting here to talk about trust and your background and that experience but a whole list of other things that i want to pick your brain about but before we do that would you mind introducing yourself giving a little bit of your background and how you came to be here
1: of course. So I'm Justin Werner. I run a trust restaurant in Santa Ana. It's a, a, a chef table experience. The whole thing is kind of modeled after a dinner party, and it's a far from conventional dining setting. Uh, I moved out here about seven years ago, and I moved here from New York. I'd been working the last 10 years in Manhattan. To say uh, culture shock would be putting it very lightly. It was uh, uh, quite a whirlwind coming out here. I used my ten years in Manhattan really, really well. I, I worked for Tom Colicchio, the bald guy on Top Chef, for about seven and a half years. For quite a while, I ran I a lot. I love that of you felt
0: like you had to clarify. He's the bald one. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> not, not, the, not the, smoke show. Yeah, But <laughs> yeah, we're good. <laughs> and
1: and uh, so I worked for him for quite a while. I worked at Per Se uh, for a couple of years after that. Um, and at the, at the last spot was a very cool two Michelin star restaurant called Cortone. It was run by a guy named Paul Lebron, who has it has since uh, closed. And it was a wild ride. And when it closed, I shifted gears and I went and staged at Noma. And uh, so after my stage there, I returned to America and promptly moved from New York to California. So for what it's worth and back to back with a, a time gap in the middle, the two places I cooked it went from Noma to Playground 2.0 in downtown Santa Ana, a, a natural transition, and uh, I've really been loving Santa Ana,
0: man. I mean, there's you mentioned culture shock, and that's what a lot of people say when they go the opposite, the west to east. I'm from the east coast originally. I had culture shock when I moved out here. I can't imagine what it was like from the culinary standpoint, but- How did you, I want to talk a little bit about what got you into those restaurants in New York. What was your your kind of cooking background? I mean, you didn't just wake up one day and and just call up Calicchio and be like, hey, I know you're not Padma, but are you available? No. You know, okay. I
1: started on Long Island and I really did love cooking. And I worked in a a big time steakhouse at that time on on Long Island. And I worked with a chef who was formerly a sous chef of David Burke. This guy was a big deal in the 80s before really having... um, Uh, quite a demise. He really later in life got known for drug abuse and and, and just, uh, you know, uncolorful things like like that. But he was a big deal. And then this chef came to Long Island in what we're gonna kinda call like a retirement situation. He was running country clubs and steakhouses. I met him, I worked with him. It was really the idea that I started seeing uh, good food and understanding what a chef life was. And he told me that one day I would, quote, get off the tit and go work in the city. And sent century and saying, like, stop stop breastfeeding. Stop playing with the, the, in the small game and go play in the big pond. Yeah. And uh, he hooked me up with a couple trails at that time, restaurants like um, uh, uh, Donatello and uh, Burke and Donatello, which, you know, he had some connections to. And it was just about seeing what made you a Manhattan chef and me a Long Island chef. And I had to see that difference. So I went into New York, and, and when I went job hunting, I was actually trying to go to Gramercy Tavern and Gotham Bar and Grill. And for what it's worth, Nobody answered the door when I got there, even though they knew I was supposed (laughs) to be there. I just sat in the back door and knocked on it for like 20 minutes. I'm like, all right, well, fuck this. So I went to uh, Craft, where I had uh, heard great things. I went there and I staged for a week. You work a week for free. And it's a really, really great story because at the end of my stage, which I I really worked really hard and tried my best, Tom Colicchio himself came down, spoke with me and took me aside as I came in. I want to have this talk with you personally, because so you don't get discouraged. There's no job here for you. I don't. I don't have a spot. I don't have a job here for you. But this area, Union Square, right around the Union Square Farmers Market, one of the coolest places in Manhattan, is really blowing up right now. I really want you to stay and like look around. I encourage you to look at some of these other sp- spots that are blowing up and this and that. And I turned to him and I said, because at that time I'd commuted from Long Island, which was like a good you know, hour and a half commute to get there. It was, yeah, it's it was not an easy serious. track. No, the Long Island Railroad can be brutal. And, uh, and I didn't have a job yet, so I didn't have a reason to move into Manhattan. But it, after he gave me what he was thinking was pretty discouraging news, I, uh, I told him that I didn't travel an hour and a half to work at the place next to Kraft. I'll see you tomorrow. And I turned around and walked right out the door. And if you're ever going to do that, you have to walk straight out. I don't care if the place is on fire. You have to walk <laughs> right out the door. And the next day I showed up, worked again for free, I worked three more days for free there, and he hired me. And seven years later, I, I was uh, running multiple crafts at that, at that point. Uh, I opened a craft steak in a Foxwoods with him. I opened Colicchio and Sons. Actually, Colicchio and Sons led to the whole way that he eventually got me into to Per Se. When, when I had left uh, ready to leave craft, Tom was just about to open Colicchio and Sons. And he's like, hey, man, come with me. Open this restaurant with me. Uh, get me through the first review, and I'll get you a job anywhere you want. And I'm like, yo, you, you got it. So I went there and yet, you mind, they already had sous chefs there. They already had a spot. So I came in, I worked the meat station six days a week and took that brutal beating though about four months to get to the first review. And the first review was New York times three stars, which is exactly what he had a craft. So he really had no right to expect more than that. And he would, uh, was super excited, gave me a big hug, thanked me for everything. And I told him I want to work at per se. And that,
0: that, So Tom was kind of my into per se. That's not the easiest place to get a job. No, no, definitely not. So, I mean, ultimately leaving New York, go to Noma and we're gonna bring up Noma at some point. That might be on the bonus episode uh, for Patreon subscribers. I haven't decided yet. We'll see how this conversation goes, but we're gonna unpack Noma at some point. But I'm so curious how in the world, New York to Copenhagen, Copenhagen, why California? What brought you out and specifically to here? Because again, this is in playground, especially, I've had former chefs on the show before. This is one of, in my opinion, one of the most important restaurants, culinary speaking, progressive cooking speaking, whatever you want to call it here in Orange County. But again, LA is right up the road, San Francisco for that matter, a little further north. I mean, why here? So the plan was always LA and then I moved here for a woman. It's the
1: only reason any guy does anything ever, no matter what, in any way, shape, or form. I say it all the time. If she would fuck me in a cardboard box, I would never buy a house. See, what's
0: funny is I didn't know the answer going in, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, it was a girl. Yeah, (laughs) it it was. Definitely. It was love. It was something. And
1: I I fell in love with this restaurant and this spot. And for those of you who don't know, the guy who owns it, Jason Quinn, uh, he's a unicorn man. He is is a really, really special individual. And he loves to tell the joke that I moved here for a woman and stayed here for a man. And you know he's referring (laughs) to himself, but it's... It's
0: a lot closer to being true than I care to admit. That's awesome. Uh, Well, let's get into Trust because, again, so Playground 2.0 at the time, obviously that was always kind of when Playground was here, it has since transitioned. It's going through another transition now. um, And at some point, hopefully I can get Jason on the show to unpack that. But I want to talk about Trust and kind of 2.0 and your time there. The experience there, you mentioned it, it's kind of like a supper party, right? I've been fortunate enough to dine at Trust and – It is a supper party, but it's a raucous one. It is fun. It is fast. It is, there's flames and fire and flavor. And there's kind of an unrelenting pace to it that I adore. What is your kind of concept and how do you handle that? How do you plan that? How do you deliver that? I mean, kind of walk everybody through, because there's some people, a lot of people that haven't. What is that experience like that you kind of curate over there?
1: So we're going to get into all of it, but I really want to highlight what I loved is uh, you noted the pace. It's almost relentless. It's uh, 13 offerings, but it's very important to me to have no lag between the dishes. It means a, a, a lot to me. And you're going to sit here and you have 13 offerings over between two and two and a half hours, and it needs to move. The fact is somewhere around an hour into that experience, your brain is going to start catching on that you're filling up. And like if I give you four courses in an hour or seven courses in an hour, you're going to start feeling it around an hour. So my goal is to get as many in you as possible before your brain starts figuring it out. So we do fire out of a cannon. The first three or four courses move very fast. It's a fresh-baked bread right out of the oven into a salad, into usually a crudo, into a, a, a veg dish. But I think when people first sit down, they're a little overwhelmed by, by how fast, the, what we're going to call the snacky section of our menu. The first, the little fun little bites and stuff moves and then once we start hitting about the first protein, it's like a, like a deep breath, and now we pace the food a little bit more like a conventional dinner. So I think the first people see the first three, four courses and go, yo, is this guy going to throw food at me for two hours? It really <laughs> is just to get through that first hurdle and then slow sort of down and, and pace it. But the whole experience is modeled after a dinner party. If you come here expecting a white tablecloth and a four-top and a, and a stuffy waiter, you're going to be very disappointed. But the fact is, you're fine because if that's what you like, it's everywhere else in Orange County. That that's no problem at all. We are a bar around, and basically a horseshoe with three chefs in the middle and a sommelier pouring behind you. No servers, no busboys, nothing. It's the the chefs cook the food, they serve the food, they they clear the food, they explain the food. They it uh just the whole the whole uh operation. I actually run a very funny business. I probably want, run one of the highest food costs in Orange County, but I do it with one of the lowest labor costs in Orange County because my team is very small and very good, and, and they do everything. You really can't just cook there. But when I say it's all modeled after dinner party, you know, we encourage interactions, we encourage questions, we encourage you to, to be, be part of it. When you walk in, we hand you a glass of bubbly, usually a, a really nice champagne at the moment. We're running the Anrio. It's a it's a very special champagne. And if I was hosting a dinner party at my house, I would love to hand you a glass of bubbly when you walk in. I think that's a very, very cool touch. It is communal. We expect you to uh, interact with the, with the people around you. We want you to ask questions. Like you know, so many, And again, the menu is planned out ahead of time. We have it and you don't know. That's trust. You just show up and you trust. The fact is everybody, the best way to have a good time there is to show up, sit down and say, I'm ready. Food and alcohol, please. And it just starts showing up every single night. Every single night, I hear people say, I would have never ordered this on a menu, but man, is this good. And that makes me so excited. That's one of my favorite concepts of it. So we do themes during the week. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we have a, a, a steak lover dinner for the for the beef enthusiast. We have a seafood one for the pescatarian. We have an amazing vegetarian dinner that honestly, it's, it's so cool because I have way, way more creative ways to cook a vegetable than I do uh, meat. So I, I think it, it creates... Um, just more stimulation, which is what the whole room is, is about. But then on the weekend, we just do trust dinner party. I think of it in a very omakase style, and you just show up and you sit down and we ball out and you have a good time. You make a lot of decisions in your regular life. I don't want you to have to make more when you come dine with us.
0: I mean, to go from a place like Per Se and Noma, these are you kind of mentioned like the white tablecloth dining experience. I mean, per se, you're talking one of the most kind of stereotypes. And I don't mean this in a bad way. It's obviously earnest recognition for a reason. But you're talking one of the most kind of iconic versions of that, right? right. Noma has earned its accolades, you know, whether people agree with it or not, very, very well by doing that type of service and doing phenomenal kind of service. You know, you're talking about places with captains for the tables and things are handled in different ways. And But trust, the thing that I, I like about it is there's nowhere to hide. You can't hide. You're not sitting off at a table to the side. Even other chefs' tables here in Orange County, while I have a lot of admiration for a lot of them, they're either in a different, they're, they're usually like in the restaurant or maybe they're off to the side and they're a little hidden, but there's always kind of other diners kind of peeking around wondering, ooh, I wonder what's happening there. You come into trust. You're just a trust. That's it. You are on this lifeboat with these other diners to your left and your right, and there's nowhere to hide. And I really love that because you guys are basically. It's almost provocative in a way because you kind of get everybody in it. it's almost like I'm expecting you to lock the door. And it's like, OK, hey, you're ours in the next two hours. So buckle yeah. up, kids. And it's all happening right here. But why what was it like for you to go from that type of service at a per se or something like that to here where it is much more. Hey, everybody, buckle up because we're going to fucking eat. OK,
1: so now we got to go into the per se conversation. I never truly loved my time at per se. Okay, I learned a lot I learned a lot mostly about structure and discipline and organization mm-hmm. cleanliness, prepping. I, I found the food there to be unbelievably um, uh, classic French, but it's unbelievably militaristic and, and, and again structured and disciplined, and there is a lot to take from that. but I will say my uh, two plus years at per se that I every day was surviving yeah and at no point was thriving I was I was never finding myself I was never. And if we need more context on that, at per se, every single morning you have to shave Uh, every single day. You are required to wear black socks. That it's a problem if you don't. You could you could be sent home. And like fun fact about me, I love crazy colored socks. I, I do. I just <laughs> I, I I like. There's the a running pattern. theme
0: with chefs that have cooked
1: at this restaurant and running socks. Yep. So yeah, yep. <laughs> I, I I get it. I always want uh, a pattern that like an adult respectable man would wear, like polka dots or argyle or something. But I want it in crazy colors. That that's, that's always been my thing. So it really kind of uh, bummed me out that you, yo know, man, it's so intense there and. It is so structured and, and I honestly left there thinking to myself, craving the exact opposite of that. Yeah. I, I, I really you know, the the food was sensational. Put it in the books that anything that hits your table, that you're that if you whether or not you like it or not, you can rest assured they wanted it there. Nothing, nothing, nothing leaves that kitchen if it's not exactly exactly how the, the, the chef wanted it to be. But I, I, first of all, I got yelled at a lot. It's a very, very intense place. And I get it. When I was at, when I was there, it was the 10th best restaurant in the world. But it was uh, savage. And, and uh, you know, so leaving there, I kind of cra- crave the opposite of it. And if we're really uh, going to go there, the in-between, per se, and here is, is Noma. Noma does have captains. They are um, a, a, an organized brigade system with the front house, But a lot of the chefs do run the food, and they, they explain it. And because they are so revved up to be this kind of in tune with nature, they're not so much a white tablecloth either. But there were some weird, some interesting ones there too. There were these uh, plates that were truly made out of moss. And we served a dish called reindeer moss, it's mm-hmm. a lichen on, on top. And uh, there's another example where we would freeze bowls, we made ice bowls. And I remember at just times, like truly stressing and panicking over the, the plates and the bowls. And I'm like, man, this isn't even food. Like, yeah. This, nobody eats this. Like, what What do we, what do why are we, why are we so, um, you know, stressing and, and crying and, 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 uh, upset over like, it's like, it's, it's the, 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 plate that they eat the delicious food off of. So I was, they definitely have their hint of, uh, over manicured for, for sure. But at Noma, you are encouraged to be who you are at Noma. Everybody wore their hairstyle, how they wanted everybody could wear whatever color sucks they wanted. Um, the rotation family meal was a rotation, the staff meal, and they very heavily encouraged you to do food from where you were from. Yeah. And I like that. So I would say that that was a little closer to letting, because at per se, you are, you are soldier one, soldier two, soldier three, soldier four. You don't really have an identity. You're, you're just, you know, if you have a great idea about how you think this dish could be done better nobody cares.
0: So both of those restaurants are brigade systems, but one is Catholic and one is Episcopalian. There you go. Yeah, it's just a little lighter. Yeah. <laughs> so coming well, out here, I, I, was, I, I mean, nice I was change. debating, I was debating saving this conversation for the bonus episode, but I think it's important to get into it because I know that there's a lot of people who listen to this show that are industry and there's a lot of conversations going on right now, especially with Noma at the time of this recording just recently announcing that they're closing, talking about those kind of older systems and you know, those type of restaurants and, and service kind of like that. And, you know, for you to go through that and obviously learning a lot at per se, but at the same time, like you said, just surviving, not thriving to now come here to be able to really be able to kind of spread your wings and build a dinner party setting that you really like to do while still delivering very high-end food. I mean, we're going to get back to the Meals at Trust in a minute to unpack kind of those flavors of what you guys are doing because it's not just cooking meat, putting it on a plate, serving it. I mean, you guys are doing very, 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 very good stuff but as a chef, having gone through kind of all these experiences, does the world still need those type of restaurants? Should those systems sort of be changed and, and removed? I mean, speaking from somebody, you know, you're not an outside journalist looking in, you're somebody who lived it and survived it and you know, is now thriving on the outside of it. What are your thoughts on kind of that portion of the dining world and the restaurant world?
1: I do think you need it. I, I, I think it has its place but you do, you continue to see these people like David Chang and Sean Brock, who, who are really pushing to a higher quality of life for the industry. And I think that's going to happen no matter what. Everybody talks, when, when Noma said that this isn't sustainable, they're not talking about the whole industry. They're not talking about the whole fine dining. They're talking about a percentage of it where people are doing these like 16 hour days and 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 sacrificing 100% of their quality of life. And that does need to stop. That needs to, to rein in. But like, even as somebody who runs what we're gonna call a very um, hair down, dinner party type restaurant. And again, I say it all the time, I'll put the quality of ingredients that we use in Trust up against anybody's, we yeah. use such baller ingredients, we source so hardcore, it really is the biggest percentage uh, of my time and what, what we do. But the flip side of it is that we do it without, in a much, much more casual setting. I say a lot, for me, the height of luxury is to enjoy it in comfort so i take a lot of pride in that so even though i live in that world and wholeheartedly believe it when i went to uh i went on vacation to, to spain last year and i 100 sought out some very high-end fine dining restaurants and sat in a white tablecloth and had like truly proper service and, and upper tier food and and it you know, it is a very cool experience as a as a guest to be to be part of that i just it doesn't excite me to provide that that, ex- that experience But there is a percentage a place for it i mean i went up to providence i would call the the service there like top 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 tier and you do you feel pampered i'm not knocking it one one bit we just do service rather differently at at trust we we honestly don't know what we call proper service like if the fork should be on the left side of the knife or the right side or, or stuff like that somebody out there knows the right answer to that But what I do know is that trust, if you need a fork, I will run as fast as we possibly can to get you one. So like, I think we make up for lack of what we're going to call proper service with the fact that we genuinely want you to have an amazing time here. And that's like a big difference maker for
0: me. I don't even know if it's proper so much as, I'll, I'll say it as traditional versus genuine. Yeah. And it's not to say that someone like a captain running a table doesn't care about your experience because they do. But is it that same as if you're at somebody's house? I love that. And you're like, Hey, can I get a glass? They're like, Oh my God, yeah, I got you right away. Like, let me run and I'll grab it for you. That's kind of the experience there. And so I want to bring it back to trust because I don't want this to be a big unpacking dissertation talking about the world of fine dining and you know, philosophizing about that. There's enough angry people on Twitter that if you want to go down that rabbit hole, you're more than welcome to trust to me. How about this? And I mean this in the greatest way possible. I love foie gras, but I've never identified more with the goose than after doing like one of the meals here where you're like, oh my God, that was a lot. And unlike the goose, I think I loved every single second of it. I've walked out of here like exhausted, but it was like the eating equivalent of a 5k. I'm like, I feel good about myself. A little full, but really good. Yep. And it is those ingredients, because like I kind of mentioned, you guys are not just cooking a steak and putting it on a plate. You guys, I mean, let's unpack the steak dinner, right? We are recording this uh, the day after one. You guys just had ultimate steak dinner last night. Walk somebody through kind of that course when they hear that and somebody, because I think a lot of people see the price tag for a dinner like this. And it's apprehensive. You know, they see ooh, that's a lot of money up front. And yeah, it is in fairness, a lot of money. Economically, it can be hard for some people. Totally get that. Totally respect it. But you're not just spending money to come in and just eat some steak. No. I wanna let you kind of unpack that because and I'm just gonna use that one as an example just because it was last night so very fresh in nope, mind and it's things a, like
1: that. it's a great one. But
0: and yeah, talk about those ingredients and kind of that experience and process.
1: Well, first off, uh, I, I do I truly love the all inclusive situation. You spend one one price, you know, they vary from two hundred to two twenty five yeah. to, to two fifty. And and you pay ahead of time. So I love that when you come in and dine, you do not think about money. Yep. I love that you just sit down, you just enjoy, and then you get up and you leave. And we've all had this experience where you have an awesome dining uh, a great meal and you're like, man, that was a magical meal. And then the bill comes and you're like yeah, and you're like, oh that was a good meal. <laughs> like you know, really so now you know what you're in for and you gotta keep in mind tax included, gratuity included, wine pairing included, everything at one price. So if you look at a normal tasting menu, we're gonna call it 125. And now you have a you add on a wine pairing it's fifty dollars. And now you're at one seventy five. Yeah, that's probably
0: generous. I was gonna say you're probably looking at eighty five
1: these days. Yeah. Yeah. And then and now you put tax on that. Now the, the tax probably brings you over two hundred and you haven't tipped yet. You're in you're in big bucks. So I, I kinda think when you when you start to break it down, it is pretty slow. And if you break it down in that format, that's one twenty five for the food. And now we're gonna get into that. We do fresh baked bread right out of the oven. It's something I take an immense amount of pride in. We make brioche in the morning. We roll it into little balls. We put it in the fridge to retard and we pull it out two hours before you get there to proof goes in the oven. It's just dough. But when it comes out, it's fresh baked brioche that we hand to you immediately. And you, I see it a lot. We have people who walk in there. It's a little down this corridor in Santa Ana and walk into a a small dimly lit room with just some chefs in the middle. And they're like, where the hell am I? Like, you know, with a super, super confused by it. And then they, um, you know, you sit down and I see, I see the change. I hand them fresh baked bread and what I think is this bomb.com ride or die salad. That's like our signature salad and you see it change. They start all of a sudden like nodding their head a little bit and they're like, okay, Okay. You can see the shoulders I relax. Yeah, and you can kind of I'm see saying, people
0: exchanging glances. Like, you're oh, seeing sure, some value this. in
1: this, and you're like, okay, let's see what else these dickheads got. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this. So now we do four cuts of domestic Wagyu. They all come from Imperial Farms in Papillon, Nebraska, one of only three farms in America that never, ever crossbreed the product. To be clear, in America, to call something Wagyu beef, it technically only has to be 25% a pure bloodline, which I think is an absolute joke compared yeah, to most 100%. countries. You know, to be clear, if you crossbreed your Wagyu, and in this case, you can crossbreed it twice, I, I, I would sell that. I would eat it. I'm not I'm not opposed to it. But what I hate is you don't disclose it. That's why everybody in the, in the store, you see Wagyu at $16 a pound and Wagyu at $40 a pound, and you don't know why. There's no requirement to, to disclose that, and that kind of bothers me. But we do take a lot of pride in using 100% domestic Wagyu. We do four cuts of domestic, and the last one is the Japanese A5 Miyazaki, uh, from Miyazaki, a piece of meat that every year contends to be the best in the world. So it goes: fresh baked bread, the bomb salad, and then steak side, steak side, steak side, steak side. Then the Japanese A five, two desserts, one usually also fresh baked, and and it's like this relentless assault of, of, of red meat. All all of our veggies come from our farmers market. We take immense pride in working with four in particular. I'm going to say Chino Farms in Northern San Diego. We love mm-hmm. uh, you know the Irvine one has come a long long way. Don't sleep on that. My new favorite. If I can hype anybody on this, the Ecology Center in San Juan Capistrano is doing some yep. amazing, amazing stuff, and they got
0: arguably one of the best. I think one of the best gems in Orange County. Yeah,
1: you know, and they got they got this little thing called Eco Tots where they have kids doing it. They sell their own coffee and pizza. You know what they are? They're the people you want to get behind. And the last one I'm going to throw out there is where we get a, a serious amount of our produce. It's the Santa Monica Farmers Market. But for me, real, that's a little bit of a cheat code answer because that's not one farm. That's one spot, which many farmers are. So I was like, Hey, what's your, what's your favorite farmer's market? Oh, the one with all of them. Yeah, of course. Like, (laughs) so, I mean, we do work uh, a pretty hardcore out of it. Yeah. And you know, it, it's this, this, this idea that if you, okay. So if you had sirloin this week and filet next week and and ribeye the week after that and blah, blah, blah. Sure. You try all of them, but in this dinner, you try them all in succession. So you get this ability to truly note the differences and experience the differences in these very, very high end steaks that are, are just baller. You go to a normal steakhouse, steakhouses are, are, are very smart. Everything's a la carte. So your bill rises at, a, at like an alarming rate where, you know, uh, here, all right, how do I say this? If you got, um, when I go to steakhouse, I want sides. I'm a sides guy. So yeah. you get mashed potatoes, grilled uh, asparagus, and cream spinach. Those are each like $20 each. And if we're being real, you probably get $20 worth of mashed potatoes. But I'm not eating all of that. No. What I like in this is the way we do the sides is everybody tries everything and you know, if you and me go to a, a steak dinner, uh, go to a steakhouse, you get a steak, I get a steak, we try, two steaks. But if and you go to this one, you try all of them in succession. It really is this murderer's row of, of high-end high beef. And again, what I take pride in is being here to explain it. Another uh, ingredient we use a lot is called Iberico de Bellota. It's an acorn-fed pork that comes from Spain that's never been fed by anything other than its mother and mother nature. It's the purest and most delicious protein in the world.
0: And, and I want to interject before you keep describing it. Just If you're not secure in your relationship with somebody you love right now, you should probably fast forward because you will leave your partner for this piece of meat.
1: It's truly special. And the reason that our restaurant works so well is... If you go somewhere and you just see Iberico de Bayota, carrots and parsnip puree and, and you get that for $42, so that's absolutely delicious, truly mm-hmm. delicious. But it's a better experience if you hear the story behind what you're eating, if you know more about it. if you And that's our job to kind of explain and talk our way through it yeah. and have fun with it and uh, make I could make some jokes about it. But the fact is I'd like you to fully understand why what you're eating is so special, where it came from, who worked on it, like, like telling the story behind it. Really add something, and i 'm not lost sometimes people will be like man this this is this is the best meal of, of my life and, and stuff like that, and I have to kind of keep it in check. I, I think there 's a little extra value in the chef handing it to you and explaining it to you. That's what we bring to the table. That That's what's special. You come down here and you have a chef friend for two and a half hours. Ask questions all you want. Get involved.
0: It was one thing a couple of years ago you know, when people like Jeremiah Tower kind of opened up the kitchen and all of a sudden you could see the chefs, right? Yeah, you yeah. saw who was preparing your food. Things opened up. But now, I mean, it's almost like the experience of having a bartender, right? People who listen to the show know that I'm a bar guy. I always prefer to sit at the bar because it's kind of like a game of duck hunt. I'm never gonna lose my person, but also you get to have conversations, right? Mm-hmm. And the conversation just enhances an experience. It's the same experience with you guys. You guys are never leaving. There's nowhere to, like I said, there's nowhere to hide. Nope. You have a person to your left, a person to your right, and the chefs are right there. So, I mean, at that point during the dinner party, are you a chef or are you a docent? Or are you kind of guiding people through this, this yeah, kind of you're educational like experience?
1: a host. You're like curating an experience for them. And, you know, I've realized if you go to a restaurant and you sit down and somebody hands you a menu and you read it and you order something and it comes and you eat it and then you pay for it. And then you get up and leave. That's just dinner. Nobody wants to pay for dinner. People want to pay for an experience. They want yeah. to be part of something. And that's why I say you, you show up and, and you sit down, like, ask questions, get involved. Like let, let, Let's talk about it. Because um, I had an amazing meal at Brooklyn Fair a couple of uh, years ago in, in New York, also a chef's table opera, uh, thing. But if I'm, if I'm being 100% real, you know, they just cook the food right in front of you and put it up in a very monotone, straight to the point, tell you the dish. It's like, all right, but I, I could have read that. Like, yeah. you just tell me this protein with this sauce and this garnish. Like, I could have got that much from a, a menu. And it was a, a great dinner, but I went there thinking it was going to be an experience and, and left, I would say, after leaving, I didn't really feel like the chef had to explain it to me because he didn't really give me much other than basic context, and I don't want that to be our world at all. I, I would I would like to... I'd love to tell you where in our travels I learned this dish, where in the stories I'd love for you to tell me that this reminds you of something your mom, like, let's, let's, let again, we are a dinner party. It, it's, it's, it's people, I think kind of, once you get it, you're like, oh, okay, let, let's, let's be part of the banter. Cause the best guests there get, get into it.
0: How long did it take you to adapt, to go from, you know, kind of. That muscle memory of like right, head down on the line, doing this to Really hosting to kind of being that kind of empresario who's who is kind of guiding everybody while you know, everybody kind of gets plated up and you are there and you're guiding people and you're educating and you're holding the room and you're kind of for lack of a better term, public speaking. I yep. mean, to like to to host that. How long did it take you to adapt where that and I'm I'm kind of identifying with it because I remember my first handful of podcast episodes and it was awkward and I was fumbling and things like that, and now it's very much a muscle memory for me. How long did that process take for you? For me, very quick. I'm gonna say like one month. But I've employed a lot of people doing
1: this with me, and not everybody takes to the the social butterfly element of it yeah. quite as, as, Which as is well fair. as I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not an easy place to walk into. First of all, I'm a a, a very big personality, so is Jason, the guy who designed the room around him, yep. himself. And you know, so to to come in and and match that energy is is not easy. And again, you're coming from very conventional dining settings where. Most chefs are in the back of the house. Most chefs are socially inept people. Most chefs uh, in, in, embrace the dark side. They, they, they want to be in, in their element. And in my restaurant, we share that element. The guests and the chefs are all in, in, in one world. Usually the guests are in one world, the chefs are in another world, and a server just is the bridge between them. But we all share one world, which I, I, I really do think is special. No disrespect to, to servers, and some of them do it in a sensational manner. I've, I've, I've met ones who truly can make an experience, something special. Yeah. But for me, it's the fact that you didn't, um, make any of it or have a direct connection to it that, that kind of, okay. When a cook makes a dish and they, they one, one, it's like perfect and they'll bring it to the pass and, and, and put it down. There's part of me that thinks that you would like to go out to the guest and say, Hey man, look what I made. Look how great this is. Yeah, hundred percent. And the flip side of it is sometimes I'll see a cook and you'll make one and you'll be like, man. Uh, that's not my best (laughs) word, and you get to bring it to the pass and put it down and knowing that somebody else has to bring your six out of 10 dish to the, to the guest. And you just kind of like wash your hands of it. And in my world, you you can't do that. Like, yo, if you made this, you need to stand in front of this guest and you need to tell them why this is special and why, why it is. And, And if it's not, you have no business serving it. So you really, yes, you can puff your chest out behind a really great dish, but like you need to hold yourself to a certain standard or else you could potentially find yourself trying to hand them a, a, a not great. Day. And to be honest, I think trust. I think am I guess in there, I think they are the elite of Orange County diners. I, 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 I find to have some like very savvy and we've kind of weeded out. OK, I, I had a, David Senegal in a winemaker who's a, a big fan of yeah. he really does some, some pretty great stuff. He came down. He did a winemaker dinner with us. We had a baller dinner. Everybody leaves. He stays to have a glass of wine with us at the end. He goes, I can't believe you just served 13 courses to 18 people, and not one person told you they don't like onions. Not one person asked for their beef cooked more. <laughs> not one person asked for a modification or, or complaint. And I've realized that those people don't come here. Like, they, they don't. We've weeded them out. This is for the, the, the foodie. I have friends. I have people I like who wouldn't, couldn't, can't go out to dine unless they absolutely know what they're having tonight. And, yeah. and if you are like that, that's totally fine but we're not for you. No. We're for the people who just want to sit down and have an experience.
0: Um, We're going to start to wind down this main episode and I'm going to keep you around for a bonus one, but I want to start to see, you know, I talked about how, and you just mentioned it too, you're kind of weeding people out. And I think it goes back to that beauty of an experience at trust is that you can't hide, right? It is right there. You're on stage, but also, you as chefs can't hide either. Like you said, you can't put out that six out of 10 dish and be like, hey, it's your problem now. Good luck. Like, have fun dropping at the table 42. Like, Godspeed. I mean, putting together a team like this, one of the things that I love about this restaurant, whether it's playground, detention, whatever you want to call it, this space is the alumni. For better or for worse, this has pumped out a wonderful Culinary ground. Yeah, I mean, it really incubator. has. The people that have contributed all over, not just Orange County, but have gone on to Los Angeles, San Diego, things like that. I mean, you can, you can trace them. And a lot of people have done really good stuff. Your team now, I mean, because it's not just you, right? You have that other team with you. They're right now prepping things and prepping for other dinners coming up. How is it putting that team together? Because, again, they are cooking, and you can't really fuck up. And you are on display whether or not, it. if you make a mistake or something happens, 18 people are going to see it. How is it putting that team together?
1: It, it's it's definitely a transitional period because I need you to come in and regardless how talented you are, I need you to work for a week or two with me and just see that some things work well in this room and some things don't. The room yeah. is a, is a beast on on its own, but it starts with with Jason and 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 me. We encourage, um, we uh, stimulating and coming up with new dishes and working on them and try it out and and R and D. And I say to anybody who works with me, if if you work with me for a year and you leave and open your restaurant, your own restaurant, and you need to do one second of R&D, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. You should have been doing that the whole time here. Our menu changes every single day. I don't care if you have an idea and you work on it all morning and we deem it not ready, that's fine. We'll, we, we're going to do a great dinner tonight and hopefully will be ready tomorrow. And if not, it will eventually be ready or you'll eventually come to a point where you're going to nix that dish and, and move on. But... I've had many dishes in there where I'll run it on Tuesday with a peach and Wednesday on a nectarine and Thursday with a plum and, and get to kind of gauge it. I mean, you watch people's reactions. You see it. It's as bad, about as expedited of a learning curve to learn the Orange County dining scene as possible. And I do think it incubates chefs. I always said that this is a place to find your voice. Like when I say that I was never thriving at, at per se, if you're doing this right, the right person in this system will thrive because go home. You see some YouTube videos. You're on Instagram. You have a cookbook. You have an idea. You come in great because we are loaded with some good food minds here who will help you birth that idea to fruition. And that's, again, they, I think, I think that this, this is a, a place where you can learn from other chefs and do food that, that makes you up. I think of it, I'm sticking with finding your voice. It, yeah. It's something we, we really take a lot of pride in doing for our chefs here. And I do agree. know, so some of them have, some of our best have gone on to do some great things. And I take a lot of pride that people don't leave this restaurant for a lateral move. If you, if you leave this restaurant to go take the same job you have here somewhere else, screw you. But if you leave here to go do something better, I'll drive you. And, and, and we take a lot of pride in, cult, in creating that, that mentality here. And yeah, no, we've, we've had some people go on to do some great stuff.
0: That's awesome. Uh, Well, Chef, I want to wind down this main episode. Like I said, I'm going to keep you around because I got a couple more questions that I want to fire your way about some really fun things, um, including the Long Island Expressway. But uh, before we wind this down, if people want to reach out to you, if they want to find you, whether it's social media, online, if they want to look into booking a dinner at Trust, uh, whether it's websites, I want to say you guys are what, talk? For the yep. reservation system. Yep. Where can people yep. do that at? So I have
1: warmed up to, to talk. I, I I at first didn't didn't see the the beauty in it, but I have warmed up to it uh, quite a bit. But that's an easy one. So we're going to start with the website, which is trustdtsa.com, which is uh, DTSa is Downtown Santa Ana. And again, I, I really do take a lot of pride in what's happening here in Santa. Ana I 100%, think it's building, yeah. it's becoming something pretty special. We are on talk. My Instagram, my personal one is jrockw1, J-R-O-C-K-W-1. And then we have trust.dtsa. And I really want to throw them both out there because I want to say uh, it's, it's a big source of, of pride in how I operate to be a very accessible human being. You know, I've lived in the, in this world for a while and I, people who reach out to me get a response. People, I want to be accessible. I want to be there for, for people. I've had friends where you text them and, uh, you know, four days later they, they text you back. Honestly, yeah. I'd rather you text me back, fuck you, than than to, te- tend to just leave me <laughs> hanging for, for four days. So I take a lot of pride that I don't leave people hanging. and uh, And I think the whole part of the experience is to be able to connect with people. And that doesn't just include the two hours that while you're here. So You come and dine in this restaurant and you have a great meal. And two months later, you're like, hey man, I got this steak that I also saw at your dinner. You have any tips on how to cook it? Please, please reach out to me. That's what makes this world special.
0: And as you'd also mention, like sometimes, you know, cancellations happen. You guys throw it up on Instagram. You're like, hey, we got two seats who want some type of thing. Yep. So it's a good way to pay attention and, and definitely get yourself in here.
1: And just follow our world. Yeah. Wait, wait, it, we, you know, it's a very stimulating operation. The menu changes every day. We're constantly doing some pretty cool stuff.
0: Well, Chef, I want to thank you for the time. I'm super happy we were able to sit down. Um, I'm a big fan of Trust. I think what you guys are doing here is not just delicious and fantastic and entertaining, but also really, really important. Um, I think it's important for the dining scene here and just for culinary professionals and for guests to come and enjoy something different. Because I think for a lot of people, their first time here, they will be, like you said, taking it back initially, and then you'll relax and the shoulders come down and, and you're going to have a good time. It's very I cool. I I appreciate it a lot. Thank you, bud. Thank you. Thank you once again to Chef, um, allowing me to come into the restaurant pre-service. Look, I appreciate whenever anybody takes the time for the show, but pre-service, especially before what they do, that's a big deal. I can't tell you how much I appreciate the time. Coffee out of deli cups, having to move tables to set up the microphones, the whole nine yards, perfect perfect podcast experience in my opinion start to finish so thank you to chef and the team for the hospitality um definitely go if you have not i can't recommend this enough again we talk about the price a little bit on the show but i seriously cannot recommend it please do it if you have not been to trust do it experience it maybe it's not for you and you know what that's okay bungee jumping's not for everybody Still pretty cool. Thank you to everybody who enjoys the show and listens on free feeds. I could not do this without you, but I especially could not do this without everybody who supports on patreon.com forward slash the best seats. Whatever monthly amount you support at, whether it's two dollars, fifteen dollars, or my advertising partners, thank you so so much. You allow me to bring these stories to you. Thank you to, uh, to my advertising partners. You make this entirely possible. All of that money goes towards equipment, maintenance, site fees, etc. Thank you to everybody else who shares it on social media and supports every week, including the guests that continue to come back and listen. That really means the world. Thank you to Allie Coyle, who provides some music for the show. And I think that's all the thank yous. All right, you got enough. Turn this off. Go make a reservation. I'll see you guys soon. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. It's based in Orange County, California. It is subsidized through generous monthly donations at patreon.com forward slash the best seats. The following are the names of those who subscribed at the highest monthly tier, aka norm status, and allow me to continue producing this show each and every month. As a thank you for their continued support, here are the names. Serena Morino, George Pavlov, Eric Lutz, Paige Reardon, Loco Lipo, Tim Falk, Burrito No Rito, Sasha Lyons, Son Bubbles, Jay Baker, Tim Swine, Burger Master, It Ain't Easy Being Greasy, Boyga Kang.